0: Hey guys, we're here in New York City right now and I'm gonna show you my favorite way to get to Carnegie Hall. Well, besides the practice, practice, practice.
1: It's like in this universe, we process time linearly forward. But outside of our space-time, from what would be a fourth-dimensional perspective, time wouldn't exist. And from that vantage, could we attain it? We we'll see. <clears throat> our space town looked flattened up. Like a single sculpture of matter in a superposition. Every place it ever occupied. Essentia yeah. is just cycling through our lives like cars on a trail. See everything outside our dimension. That's eternity. Eternity looking down on us. Now to us, it's a to them,
2: it's a circle. la 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 la, la.
0: You don't think I can handle danger? What are you talking about? You can. I totally can. And for you to come into my house and not tell secrets because you think you're saving me, well, in reality, it just makes you look like a dumbass, okay? Because look at this. See this? You see yeah. that? There's no hair under here, bro. Okay? What's this, the like that? It makes me aerodynamic when I fight.
2: you existential crisis having screedlers welcome back to another episode of the humor and the abject podcast with sean j patrick carney this is staff Lee, the studio manager now time may indeed be a flat circle if you're a philosophy wong. but here at humor and the abject we live in the real fucking world time is money and so every six months or so we have to do internal reviews of our staff Today, we're doing a review of our intern, Bartholomew Q. Middlecurd. I've got Bartholomew in the studio here with me, and we thought that we'd just go ahead and conduct this interview on air to give it a sense of seriousness. Thanks for your patience. Bartholomew, thanks for coming in on your day off. Did you have a good Thanksgiving?
1: It was pretty good, I guess. My family lives in Oregon so it wasn't really practical for me to travel all the way back there for just a few days. But some friends of mine-
2: Fucking wild. What a story. Thanks. Now, Bartholomew, can you give me a quick sense of what your duties are as an intern here at the Humor and the Abject podcast?
1: Um, yeah. Sure. Well... Most of my time the last couple of months has been spent drawing portraits of Rust Cole for Sean.
2: Rust Cole? The character from season 1 of the HBO prestige television drama True Detective?
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm usually here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I used to handle setting up the microphones and the sound board in the studio, but in early September, Sean told me that I wasn't allowed to touch the equipment any longer. He handed me a folder filled with pictures of rust coal that he'd printed off from Google image search and told me to draw every one of them as realistically as possible.
2: I see. How many have you completed as of today?
1: Probably 50 or 60 in total.
2: That's quite an honor. How does working on these drawings make you feel? Do you feel like a big boy? An important man?
1: I'm not sure that I follow, staff only. A big boy.
2: Yes. An enormous lad. A gargantuan baby boy. The cream of the crop. A sassy little Lord Fauntleroy.
1: I haven't really spent much time thinking about how drawing them makes me feel. I've been incredibly stressed out just trying to get them done. I turn in all of the drawings that I make each day to Sean and then he immediately puts them into a paper shredder while maintaining intense eye contact with me.
2: Very interesting. Does he say anything to you while he's doing this?
1: He recites the entirety of Matthew Arnold's poem Dover Beach while a trap remix of the Baby Elephant Walk plays in the background.
2: It sounds like he trusts you a lot, to be sharing that experience with you. That's his favorite poem and his favorite remix. Not everybody knows that.
1: That's actually very encouraging to hear. This whole time, I've been thinking that he's upset with me.
2: Have you considered? Bartholomew, that perhaps you're actually upset with yourself?
1: Uh, I mean... I guess I kind of am, in general.
2: It sounds to me like you're having a breakthrough today. It sounds to me like this internship review might be the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Would you agree?
1: I don't really know if that's the case.
2: Wow. I mean, just, wow. You just crossed a fucking line, Bartholomew. There are students at universities all across the city of New York who would never speak their families again if it meant that they could do an unpaid internship experience at Humor and the Abject. I'm disgusted by your behavior today.
1: Staff only, I didn't think- Exactly.
2: You didn't think. You're finished, Bartholomew. A total fucking disaster. Ugh. Gather your belongings and hit the road, you asked ass chode.
1: I'm devastated.
2: As you should be. Good night. And good luck. Well, that was awesome. What a time to have a podcast. We're sponsored today by the concept of time and the outrageous allure of total danger. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to everyone who has committed to supporting the podcast by becoming subscribers on Drip. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney.
0: I'm Ira Glass, welcome to Jackass. It's episode 29 of the Humor in the Abject Podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I hope that you're all recovering from some serious fights with your extended families at Thanksgiving. I wanted to kick things off by saying thanks to Foundations magazine and to everyone who came out to the release event on Saturday, November 18th at Magenta Plains Gallery in the Lower East Side. Special thanks to Sebastian and Marcella from Foundations for including my essay, Watching a Comedy Revolution in Real Time, in that issue. Thanks to Olivia and the rest of Magenta Planes for hosting. And a gigantic thanks to Aikufamadu, Lorelai Ramirez, and Anna Fabrega, all of whom I had the pleasure of writing about in said article, but who also performed at the event and really brought the house down. Have you backed Humor in the Abject on Drip yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Let's give a shout out to the founding screedlers on that Drip profile. That's Joshua, Marcella, Fred, Marshall, Pauline, Casey, Paloma, Ezekwe, Brandon, Claire, Michael, Nicole, Rachel, Rinden, Darcy, Hans, Taylor, Chase, Adam, and my mom. This week's guest on the Humor in the Abject podcast is Mitra Juhari, who is an exceptionally talented writer and comedian. She co-hosts the achingly funny It's a Guy Thing at Union Hall with Patty Harrison and friend of the podcast, Catherine Cohen. The next one is going to be a special holiday party edition, which is at Littlefield, note the venue change, on Sunday, December 10th. She is also one of the Debras in the comedy trio Three Busy Debras. She's got writing credits on Miracle Workers and The President Show uh, was staff at Full Frontal with Samantha B. Her writing bylines include McSweeney's, Reductress, Flaunt Magazine, Reality Beach, Split Cider, and Rookie. Perhaps you've seen her on film and television in The Big Sick, Broad City, Friends from College, or the aforementioned Full Frontal. She's also been in videos for The New Yorker, IFC, Comedy Central, Above Average, Refinery, 29's Riot, and more. Uh, I'm so excited to have Mitra on the podcast this week, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Mitra Juhari. Thank you for coming up to Greenpoint. Where are you from?
3: Also Greenpoint. Oh, <laughs> you.
0: you didn't even have to get on the train?
3: No, no, I didn't. I'm just like on the other side of Greenpoint. Oh,
0: cool, cool. Well, Mitra Juhari, welcome to Humor in the Abject. How is it going for you this week?
3: It's going okay. Yeah, <laughs> Medium? Medium. Definitely a hard medium. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty decently. Thank you for asking. Rarely does anyone ask back, actually. I never thought about that before, but (laughs) yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, Now, I understand that you are also from the Midwest. Is that true?
3: Yeah, Yeah. I'm from Ohio. Where are you from? Michigan. Oh my God.
0: Ohio's hat. (laughs) Uh, What was Ohio like growing up? I I listened to the Misandry episode that you did with uh, Ray and Marsha a while ago. And you were in kind of like a rural
3: area? I was from I'm from Cincinnati but mm. um I was in like I was in an area called Westchester, just outside of Cincinnati and it's very farmy. Less farmy than when I was a kid, but when I was growing up we lived on a farm, like horses would come up to our backyard and everything and all the area around us was a farm. And then gradually more and more land was bought off and mm-hmm. turned into houses and strip malls and stuff. But growing up, it was very farmy.
0: That's cool. I haven't been to Cincinnati, but I have some friends that they just opened an art space there called Anytime Department, and they, they really like Cincinnati. One of them is originally from there. And so she went back and they started this thing, and I think they teach at a school there, but I don't know which one.
3: Okay, maybe DAP or something like that, DAP? you see? It's a design school. Oh, so cool. So if they're involved in art, that might be a where they do it. That sounds <laughs> cool.
0: Did you spend any time in Cincinnati growing up?
3: Um, we would go. I mean, we'd go downtown. There's The downtown is really great. Um, there's a really good art scene, and it's getting better and better. It's really exciting to, to see uh, sort of the city get revitalized. And I think, you know, there's always that sort of ongoing struggle with gentrification, but I think people are trying to be mindful but also, I'm saying that as someone who hasn't lived there in six sure. years. But it's, uh, it is it is exciting to go back and see all these cool art spaces. There used to be this thing called um, Final Friday that I would go to mm-hmm. in high school. Do you know what it is?
0: Yeah, yeah. They have, like, well, I, I'm familiar with, like, first Fridays or first Thursdays or last – yeah. They, yeah. Like a, an art walk thing or things are open, right? Yeah, yeah. it was
3: so yeah. cool. I, I remember seeing it in high school and being like, wow, I, you know, just – my city is cool. I didn't know because I hadn't been able, I wasn't old enough to go out and do anything cool. And then um, I went with one of my friends and it was just this huge, huge warehouse that everybody would open up all their stuff. And there would be musicians on different floors playing. But if you stuck your head in the elevator shaft, you could kind of hear everybody Whoa. playing at once. Nice. It was very cool and weird and grimy and great.
0: The town that I grew up in is like kind of cool now. I don't, it wasn't very cool when I was living there, but it's called Traverse City.
3: And yeah, I've you been know there. It? You
0: have? Yeah. Really?
3: Yeah. On I, what grounds? <laughs> I can't remember if it was when I went with my family or I did this weird um, tour of a parody of Fifty Shades of Grey. What went? Um, when I was 19, I stage managed this tour and we went all over. Um, we went to like 30 cities. What? Yeah. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> and, you, and you played in Traverse City?
3: I, we might have. We played in a few cities in Michigan, and I can't remember if that was one of them, but I know I've been there before.
0: That's hilarious. It's very, um, there's a lot of, uh, well, you know the drill probably. There are a lot of microbreweries and like wineries and cute little shops and things like that now, which yeah, weren't necessarily that's very, in existence when I was a child.
3: Yes. That's a very recent development in Cincinnati also. Big time uh, beer town now.
0: Yeah. Why is every town a fucking beer town now?
3: I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, do you have any big plans for, I mean, this is going to come out right after Thanksgiving, but mm-hmm. any big plans for the for the Thanksgiving week?
3: Thanksgiving week, I'm going back to Ohio. Woo! Um, I make 600 trips per year. Um, I'm going to, yeah, we're going to do Thanksgiving there. I don't normally go back for Thanksgiving, but um, we were having a hard time with my family. So... <clears throat> <laughs> So I'm going back for Thanksgiving. Um,
0: that sounds like the exact context to just iron that out, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back for Thanksgiving to fix things. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. I don't what think, about you? Uh, I'm going to go to Austin. on on Wednesday, which is pretty cool. Do you
3: have family there or are you just going? Uh,
0: no, Claire's. Mom and stepdad live there. They're both like scientists at the University of uh, UT Austin. Okay. So we're going to go to Austin. And I've only been there once before, so it should be pretty fun. That's awesome. And the last time I was there was South by Southwest, which I understand is not a cool time to visit if you're oh. an Austinite.
3: I have never, I've never been. I really want to go.
0: It was pretty cool. I had a nice time. When did you come to New York?
3: I moved here um, beginning of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd spent some time here just like for various work uh, and then for an internship at Daily Show in 2014. And then I went back to school after that and then was like, I can't, <laughs> I won't graduate. So I dropped out and moved here at the beginning of 2015.
0: Okay. We're, so if you were interning at the Daily Show and things like that, I imagine comedy has been on your mind for quite some time.
3: Kind of. I mean, I I always loved Daily Show, but I never thought I was going to do comedy. I always thought I was going to be like a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So when I started school, I my major was neuroscience. And then,
2: Whoa.
3: I mean, I, it didn't last. It, it was just <laughs> what I started with because I was like, I don't know, maybe. And uh, That's a
0: cool thing to just throw like a... A dart at a dartboard and like land on neuroscience. And like, yep, yeah, that's what that seems like a low key thing for me to get into.
3: Yeah, it sounded very cool to me. And then I was like, I'm, I, I'm bad at math. Like, I can't do chemistry. Why would I do this? Uh, and then so I switched it to psychology. I started doing college improv like two weeks into school, and mm-hmm. that was sort of the like the moment where I was like, oh yeah, I guess this is the thing that I'll do for a long time uh not improv but comedy i just had never experienced that world before i hadn't watched any of the shows that everybody's watched or you know like simpsons i haven't really watched saturday night live i had i just like all like the sort of standards i guess like culturally the the
0: pre that make people think that they're funny
3: yes exactly (laughs) so i hadn't really seen any of that stuff and i just didn't have any sort of frame of reference um
0: that's probably good
3: I think it is good now. It, it was sort of tough in the beginning because people. It just you know you you don't think about as, how often people uh, reference those shows until oh, you haven't seen them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I felt like I was like missing something, and now I feel fine. But um, yeah, I uh, that that so it, it's been like six years now of doing comedy and really wanting you know, wanting to do comedy, knowing that I wanted to do comedy.
0: Do you still do improv?
3: Not really. I, uh, it's like, it it is fun to get to do occasionally. I'm not doing it on any sort of regular basis, but if someone asked me to do a show, I, I do it. It's, it's still fun. It's just not my thing now. No. But I, but I, I mean, I did all the UCB classes. Um, I took an improv class at Annoyance. I mean, I was like really, really doing it for a while. I definitely... Don't think it's dumb or anything. It's just not my thing.
0: Yeah, no. I think it, it's low-hanging fruit to make fun of it. I'm just teasing because it's like I know. a funny... It's When it's done well, it's incredible.
3: It is. Like, it's exciting. And I it's mean, like
0: unreal how people can... The speed at which some people's mind works yeah. astounds me.
3: I mean, I um, I did monologues at ASCAT at UCB mm-hmm. last night, and it had been a really long time since I had seen an improv show. And just watching those folks do it, I was like, oh my God, I forgot how exciting it is when someone makes a really cool connection or like, you know, keeps track of something that I forgot about.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure performing it too, there's that, uh, it's certainly probably an entirely different high than going up with something where you kind of, even if you're doing some things extemporaneously that you kind of know you're set or you kind of know where you're going with something, but to just walk out and be like, well, here we go.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, Although I'm not doing it now, it, it did a lot for my confidence and my stage presence and also just my writing in general, just having to make a decision and commit to it. and Because there was never any problem with me for, like, trusting other people. I'd been doing theater and stuff, and I, I like performing with other people. I prefer to be on stage with other people. But just having to go out there and, like, step out with an idea and, f- like, firmly announce your presence yeah. is great. And I think, you know, I, th- I think it's a great tool for anyone who wants to do any kind of like comedic writing at all.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's... Especially
3: like a, especially a, a young woman <laughs> like it, mm. having to come out and be like, I am this. Yeah, is Yeah. A really good exercise.
0: I like the, uh, the idea of just having to do the damn thing and get over it without overthinking something. And it's something that, I mean, I teach predominantly art stuff, but it's something that I think art students run into a lot because it's that kind of like, um, you know, like choice is a prison it's a thing, you know, or that kind of, or if there's just, if, if it's totally wide open and you're not forced to do something really quickly, it can be really existentially terrifying to try to take a step if you aren't sort of nudged over the edge. Yeah. And I imagine that improv, um, really doesn't allow you to even dwell on that whatsoever. You
3: can take yourself seriously, which is great. Yeah. Just come, like the, you, there's no ego to it. If you're doing a good job. <laughs>
0: How did you connect with all of the folks that you're kind of in circles with now in New York? Was it through those classes at UCB or was it through mics and things like that?
3: I mean, I sort of met the...
0: Who'd you meet first?
3: I met, so I knew, I, I do um, the the show that I do with Patty and Catherine. I've known Patty Harrison and Catherine Cohen for a really long time. Uh, Patty and I went to a uh, school in Ohio, uh, and both did college improv. So we met really early on in college. Whoa,
0: I did not know that.
3: Yeah, so cool. I mean, maybe I mean I was maybe like 18, 19 when I met Patty. Um She went to Ohio University, and I went to Ohio State. <gasps> and my school did a big improv festival every year, and her school came, and we really hit it off and have just been so tight ever since.
0: Interesting. I'm supposed to hate Ohio State. I know. From... It, there There are uh, a friend of mine when I was growing up, he had a a sticker that went over the light switch with a little you know rectangle cut out for the light switch itself. but it had a Ohio Buckeye leaf is that Ohio State? Mm-hmm. The Buckeyes crossed out and it said, "Oh, how I hate Ohio State.
3: Wow, yeah, people really, really care. <laughs> <laughs> was it like
0: that between was it like that between the improv teams?
3: No. <laughs> a little
0: more <laughs> a little friendly.
3: <laughs> Bravely put aside our differences to do the Improv Festival.
0: <laughs> so when you were taking these classes and things like that, and I'm always curious about this just because my interest in comedy and the way that I came to it was really through the art world and then having the benefit of just sort of through osmosis meeting all of these different comics and stuff in New York. And so the... The arc that every person takes as they kind of come into it, particularly with what I think is such a special uh, community and kind of movement that's going on in in Brooklyn and New York at large, Um, in addition to those classes, were you just hitting mics and stuff like that and running into people?
3: I never really did mics just because I sort of fell into doing stuff at the Annoyance really quickly. Okay, that I, had
0: opened here already, right?
3: Yes, I, it opened here. The, the theater opened here maybe a couple months before I moved here. and then,
2: serendipitous. I know. <laughs> um,
3: so I was taking an improv class there, but then I was also just sort of hanging out with all those folks. So yeah. I, um, my first show in New York was uh, The Juice that Carmen Christopher runs, and then like that sort of, you know, I started doing. Was
0: Carmen in a video that you did.
3: Yeah, we did a. He put a, me in a, one of his where we were. You like did one incestuous about a
0: Kickstarter for an abortion. Right? Yes, <laughs> a
3: Kickstarter for an abortion, and uh, Carmen <laughs> played my boyfriend. Dead
0: eyed. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, no one does dead eyes better
0: than uh, um, what What for somebody who's, I imagine a lot of people listening probably, because the annoyance is no longer running here. Right. Um, but for somebody who maybe didn't get a chance to go to, what was different about the annoyance versus other spaces where people were doing comedy?
3: What I loved about the annoyance is it was, you know, it was gross and grimy, like a, just a nasty little basement room. Um, which... Gave you the opportunity to – it was still – but it, you know, it still had working lights. It still had a backstage. It still had all these spaces that you sort of need to feel like you're like doing a show. Sure. But it – being so gross gave people the opportunity to do more experimental stuff because I feel like when you're in a space that looks like a really professional black box theater, mm-hmm. the audience has an expectation – that they're going to receive a really polished show and the people want to give them... Or I, at least, when I go to those spaces, I feel like I should be doing something really polished. And yeah,
0: like Ars Nova or some other place like that. There's a yeah. there's a setup. There's think, an energy. That, yeah.
3: And, you know, and not that I'm not doing... Not, not that I'm not thinking about what I'm doing, but you can try stuff out in places like that a little more comfortably when you're in a space that is more conducive to doing those kinds of things. So what I loved about Annoyance was that, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I would try obviously and want to put forth something good but if it was something sort of weird or you know f- when I was really developing my voice uh <laughs> when I was like figuring my shit out it's like I an okay like
0: okay thing to say I know it's but, perfectly everybody needs to do that no matter what kind of field they're in right yeah. but it is funny to say that it is know. funny to
3: say it. um <laughs> um yeah, but when I was, like, figuring myself out, it was really nice to have a space where I felt like I could do that. And everyone – I mean, I i personally had a really great time there. I mean, I – you know, people were nice and people were weird. And you didn't – you also just didn't feel like, um, like, fancy people were watching you mm-hmm. also. Like, i I recently was in L.A. And one thing that I felt a lot at those – a lot of the shows that I did was, like, an overwhelming sort of – Sense of acknowledgement that we're, everyone was being watched, like people would, like, You mean, you like
2: just, an industry, industry person was there, people. or something, like, yeah. Okay. yeah, and
3: you know, and not in a good way. Uh, sure, it, w- it was sort of people a lot of times doing like their most polished material, yeah. Um, and I, and I, I don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily mean I like polished in the sense that like there's no sense of experimentation or joy. Like obviously try and write your bits out or whatever, but just like not going out. And being like, you know, robotically saying the same stuff every single night with no sense of play or experimentation is like not fun yeah. for me. So that's that's why Annoyance was so cool.
0: And it originates in Chicago, right? Yes. Uh, before here. And, and the
3: Chicago one is still open.
0: Yeah. And it has, um, I don't even know how to describe this, but it's something that I've tried to articulate before. But something about the Annoyance felt like a space that uh, it just didn't feel New York-y in a way. Like it had... It clearly was something that began in the Midwest, and yeah. just had this different kind of energy to it, and maybe something that was cool about it, and I'm thinking about this now because you're talking about audience expectation and people showing up was the cool thing was any time that I went to a show there, it was like people were only there to see shows, yeah and it and it was like. You just didn't have the kind of randos who happened to be at the bar when, oops, there's a comedy show at this time or something like that. And it was also a space where you knew that you were going to see some weird shit.
3: Yes. I mean, I I think you can just tell when you go down the grimy basement and there's, like, some weird Christmas lights or whatever and, uh, yeah, uh, all the strange posters, everything about the experience, like, even just walking down into the space – like the space is laid out weird, and everything yeah, yeah. about it was like wonky. you like
0: enter at stage right, like, yeah, into the audience.
3: Like, yeah, maybe. I mean it, it was just like there was there were parts of it that were bad, and it was and, and, and I loved it. But
0: the beer was really cheap.
3: The beer was really cheap,
0: and it was fun. And, so, <laughs> and I liked to. I mean, I saw some great, actually, pretty, uh, you know, polished for the space shows. Like, uh, what was Laurel? I did her deteriorating live, which was her hour that she did there, and. But there was this really funny rapport because everything was really, really tight, except, of course, there were just some, like, tech hiccups or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the vibe was such that there could be, like, a holler from the stage to the tech guy, and he would start laughing in the back and fix it really quickly. And the audience was like – there was no awkwardness. Right. It was just – Yeah, me, Sandy, and and Alyssa
3: did Three Busy Debras there. Yeah, Um, let's talk
0: about Three Busy Debras.
3: (laughs) Well, we we started the show there. Um, we did a ten minute version of the show, and then we did a twenty minute version of the show, and then we ran for you're
0: like thirty like
3: three months or something okay. like that. I don't remember okay. how many three performances. Three months. I knew there
0: was did. a three in it.
3: It was some. It was something <laughs> like that. I honestly don't even know, but it might have been more. But we did it weekly for a long time. But it was that sort of thing of like we. It was a very tech heavy show. Um, and yeah, just having a space where you could be like—I mean, we we were crazy about it though. I mean, we rehearsed all the time and like. Met with the tech. I mean, I, I, this was a Ryan Douglas who like does all the tech for Annoyance. Who did all the tech for Annoyance stuff, uh, or at least a lot of it. Um, I made him meet with me at a coffee shop in person to just talk through the tech and like. I mean, we were we were a lot. We were a lot. Uh, but we because we cared. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, being very. I talk a lot about being very serious about being silly. Uh, Yeah, I want it to be good. uh, Yeah, yeah.
3: I don't want to make people pay money to watch something that. Is bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, what, um, I mean, I know, but for the uninitiated, what is Three Busy Debras?
3: So, Three Busy Debras (laughs) is me, Sandy Honig, Alyssa Stonaha. Um, We are a comedy trio. And um, the characters are, I mean, we play a bunch of different. Sets of characters. So, the three core, busy Debras. The core
0: ones are kind of Stepford Wives. Yes. Waspy. Yes.
3: And they're yeah. all named Deborah. <laughs> and then we play the a couple. We play a couple of other sets of characters. There's or a lot, but the main ones are three busy Debras, the three fuckable men. Those
0: are so insane.
3: They are disgusting men. The fir- whatever sausage hands.
0: The video. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've done plenty of iterations of it, but there's. In the Three Fuckable Men video that's like the first one that kind of pops up when people look for it, the opening sequence just where Sandy is chugging Tums is yeah. one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. It's like <laughs> insane.
3: Sandy doing any physical comedy is – I mean, she the way that she can move her body is so – I mean, it, I I love watching her – Roll around. Oh, <laughs> you're all
0: very good at There's that scene, too, where you're kind of wandering through the West Village around that one. What is that curved street? Oh, you yes. Know what I'm talking it's, um, about? The
3: corner of Christopher and Gay. Street yeah, yeah. yeah. Just walk and, past and the other. Sort of, and
0: you're sort of all like holding onto each other, but like it's kind of like three scarecrows. And from set the to Wizard the above.
3: gorgeous Cotton Eye Joe. Oh, my God.
0: my <laughs> god I hadn't—that song's a banger. That's it's, really good. Yeah,
3: a famously good song that everyone loves. <laughs> um, so
0: you all do videos, but the live show, is that kind of where all the experimentation happened and you sort of drove the characters or what was—
3: Yeah, the live show was really cool because, you know, we did it, we did it weekly, but we changed it all the time just because, you know, we get tired of doing certain things. And the live show was really fun because the—you know, with other stuff, we try to have a story about the live show was like you know 45 minutes long it was just Deborah's doing a series of activities mm-hmm. and sort of splitting off to do monologues and stuff but it was really there's no story to it, <laughs> which I promise was fun and, I believe it but just having sort of like an interchangeable set of activities so when we yeah. got tired of something we would just sort of like tinker with it a little bit and be able to switch it out for something that seemed more fun that week
0: yeah we I'm got- actually really interested in that as I, I I've talked to some other people about this too and I'm sure it's maybe not the chosen or or preferred vocabulary for live comedy performance but it seems really sculptural to me and that there are these elements that are made of different parts and you can just sort of move them around and context changes everything yeah. like you move this thing from this night over here and then this one but you have things over here in your shelf that you can bring in at any time and things like that. And you kind of always put together a whole, but it can be really nimble. It sounds like.
3: Yeah, I think that show that is sort of an apt description of it. It, There were definitely I mean, there were there was a sequence that we were used to having, but I think it could have shifted if we needed it to or wanted it to and it did.
0: How did you uh, begin through Busy Debra's?
3: We met like a month after I moved to New York, we kind of were all vaguely aware of each other. Sandy and Alyssa had met and then people kept telling me. You'd that seen
0: Sandy's photos. I
3: I hadn't. I um uh, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, Sandy's
0: but, an incredible photographer for anybody who doesn't know and uh was gracious enough to uh let Foundations magazine use her photographs in the issue that I got to write.
3: For. She's so good. Use her for everything, seriously. Um but Yeah, people had just – people kept telling me that we should meet. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I met Alyssa like right when I moved to – a couple days after because I did an improv jam at UCB on Mm. New Year's Day. And we were on the same team. uh, But um, the three of us all hung out because we were sort of looking for people that were – I mean, frankly, kind of just looking for people who are our age. We were all still sort of in school or just out of school and kind of – Just looking for someone with a similar experience. I think, you know, especially because we were doing improv, it's a lot of um, like older men, especially at the time. So just looking for someone to be like, so you feel like this too, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then we hung out and went to an improv jam at uh, UCB called Bring Your Own Team where you get to do like a five-minute set or whatever and then we named every character Deborah in the set <laughs> and talked about how busy we were and <laughs> haven't had a new idea since. <laughs>
2: Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One the Dark Lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. All.
1: Listen up, you motherfucking screamers. This is Bartholomew Q. Little Curd. Does this bullshit podcast really think that it can fire me? Do you, dear listener, want me to lose college credit because I didn't appreciate the opportunity to draw a bunch of stupid pictures for Sean J. Patrick Carney? Of course you don't. I'm back in the studio and I'm taking the reins. I will not be silenced. I will not draw pictures of Rust Cole. I have never even seen an episode of True Detective. Mark my words, I will strike down those that oppose me. I will get college credits so that I can be considered full-time this semester. I am a voluptuous god. I am the creamy lord of lunchtime sandwiches. Screedle D. Screedle D. Bruffeting Wah. Bruffeting Wah. Cash me outside. I'm breaking the law.
2: Oh, Bartholomew. You ancient fool. We have already contacted your college's administration, and, not only will you be losing the credits you've been pursuing at the Humor and the Abject podcast this semester, you've also been expelled from the university. You're a coward. A Gemini. And nobody told us anything about some evil twin coming along and casting us in a morality play. Let's get back to the show.
0: Three Busy Debras, and uh, if I'm correct, it was a little over a year ago, you played Carnegie Hall. We did. What is the story there? <laughs>
3: okay, so we had done our play for a really long time, and then we went and did it in I L.A. I love that
0: you call it a play.
3: It is a play. I, I know, and I'm <laughs> very happy. <laughs> it is It is a play. It's not a sketch show. It is a play. Um, but uh, we, we did it in New York for a long time, and then we did it in L.A., and we... It was the following year, um, it was 2016, sort of beginning of 2016, and we were looking to just do it one more time. Um, We wanted to move on to other stuff, but we were like, oh, it would be really fun to do it in New York one more time. And then we were having trouble finding a space. Um, We
0: needed a theater. We
3: wanted a theater, and we wanted wanted to do it in a little larger of a venue, maybe a different venue um, than we had been doing it at. Uh, so we were reaching out to other places and we're having sort of a hard time finding a space. There was just a lot of red tape with a lot of places. So offhand, Alyssa at one point was sort of like, it'd probably be easier to like fucking book Carnegie Hall. And <coughs> we were like, ha, ha 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 And then we ended up looking it up mm-hmm. and, uh, realized that it wasn't that expensive, con- like all things considered sure. to rent out Carnegie Hall. Like I thought it was going to be, you know, like hundred thousand dollars or something uh-huh. to rent this smaller room that seats 300 people so not like the big carnegie hall but a smaller one um doesn't matter it's within, still in the building it's still carnegie hall technically um <laughs> but uh so it was like six grand or something like that wow. um and, and what is
0: that space what is that rental typically for
3: the, like little kids doing recitals, like, the piano recitals, like rich, rich New York kids <laughs> doing piano recitals. And then there's also like other concerts that are played there, but it's it's a concert hall. And normally it's little kids whose rich parents <laughs> rent out <of> Carnegie <laughs> Hall so they can play like Beethoven or something. Wow. Um, so we did it. Uh, so basically we were like, well, let's just do a Kickstarter because people are doing Kickstarters for whatever, for a lot more. We'll make it a big night. And um, we'll just see what happens. We were really nervous. We were like, okay, either this is so stupid that no one will give us any money or <coughs> it's so stupid that we're gonna get funded. Uh, and thankfully it was the latter. And so we raised the money. And then after we raised the money, we were like, oh my God, we have to like make a new show. Because sure. a lot of people who had donated were our friends who would already seen the show and we were like, well, we're not gonna make them watch the play. Like if we have this whole night at Carnegie Hall, We should make a new show. How long did they
0: give it to you for? They
3: gave it to us for four hours, and we had like rehearsals the day of stage time. Yeah.
0: Whoa. So
3: we wrote a (laughs) two-hour-long musical, essentially. I mean, we we didn't we wrote a couple original songs, but a lot were just you know songs that we like. Um, we wrote a mu, but it was a whole new show, a two-hour-long show had like. 40 of our friends be audience (laughs) plants that came up at various times throughout the night. Peter Smith narrated, Catherine Cohen sang from the balcony at the very end. It was like a really, really beautiful night. Um, But yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was um, just the process of writing, producing, memorizing, starring, choreographing, like making music for the first time, doing all the the seating and everything because we had audience plants. So we had, since we asked to plant a few seats, we had to... Uh, we had to seat do the whole seating chart. Basically, we did it like a wedding because we were like, well, if we're gonna have our friends do it, we might as well have friends sitting by friends. And we just yeah. treated it like a wedding and had like a <clears throat> crazy poster board where we would put all the names of everyone who had a ticket on a seat or whatever. It was insane. We shouldn't have done it, <laughs> but it 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 was awesome. I mean, it was there was like it was really stressful. It was like a, another full time job while we were doing it. Yeah. Um But uh, yeah. then we I mean we like. We made the show free because we were like, well, for, you know, we want our friends to be able to come. We want anybody to be able to come. And just, we just were in charge of ticketing. So all of our friends were there. Our families were there. Strangers were there too. But it was, it was really nice. It was just like the warmest reception that anything I do, I think will ever have. <laughs> and just looking out and seeing all the nice people <laughs> was very cool. Because we had worked so, so hard on it.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like there were the kind of random theater enthusiasts who don't do much research about a show who just show up to it? Because I feel like I've seen a lot of those at places like Ars Nova or even plays that I've been to where they yeah. maybe don't know anything about the play, but they have uh, season tickets to a theater or something. They just sort of, that sounds interesting. They go check it out and sometimes they're <laughs> a little bit uh, mortified by what's going on maybe.
3: Well, with ours, we were in charge of all the ticketing, so we made an email for people to okay. contact us about it. So there were definitely strangers there, and I'm sure there were people who were like, What did I just watch? But you had to sort of be in the know okay. to get to it. They a had
0: a little to context to get to it. It wasn't like. They're like, oh, you know, there's 20 extra tickets to this for any of our season ticket holders who'd like to come yeah. through.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think they wouldn't dare. I mean, they were – but the people at Carnegie were so nice. We were so nervous about it because we were like, this is by far the filthiest thing that has <laughs> happened in this place where kids do their piano recitals. And everyone was so nice. They were like – scandalized at times, but mostly just really lovely people who were like, this is so fun. <laughs> I'm sure
0: they had a blast. Yeah. yeah. The texts and things like that were probably just like, thank God this isn't six children playing Fiora Well,
3: the <laughs> stagehand was this really nice guy. I forget his name right now and I feel terrible, but he um, he was like, this reminds me of when I crawled through the mud to watch Alice Cooper. Whoa, <laughs> like, cool. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Speaking of Peter, were you in their show at – Caroline's recently? Um. Yes. Yes. I didn't see the night that you were on, but I saw a different one. And Sad. And what a fun show. <laughs> it
3: is a really fun show. Peter <laughs> is, you know, just the best host. Um, so talented.
0: So... Let's talk about it's a guy thing, okay? Which I've enjoyed immensely. So Thanks. you've known Patty for a long time. Mm-hmm. You met Catherine here in New York.
3: No, we met no. Um, at the Fringe Festival in Scotland. Um, Interesting. We were both interning there. Um, so it was my second summer there, her first summer there, and we were interning for the same company, this musical improv group called Baby Wants Candy. And um,
0: Baby Wants Candy.
3: Yes. <laughs>
0: <Ooh>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so we were on their street team and the production team, and um, yeah, we just headed off. We like spent a month living together and have been tied ever since
0: and then, so, how did you design the show out? and when did it did it occur before Union Hall or did it start? It started right off the at bat there?
3: over, the eight. over um, the eight we did it over the eight for
0: which is maybe also a year no longer
3: I know eight. I mean, all the like fun, like grimy places are gone, <laughs> which is crazy mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so we started doing it there. It started off with me and Catherine, and then I had to miss some shows. So Patty started doing it, and then we were like, oh, duh. Well, we should all three just host it together. So mm-hmm. we've been doing it, the three of us, for over a year now. Um, and I don't really remember how it started, but I, we just loved the idea of like – I mean, I, I you know, it's just sort of that like our women filming, blah, 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 exhausting mm-hmm. conversation. But, you know, sure. it's a guy thing, comedy. And then <laughs> it sort of – you know sprang from that and has become something sort of that isn't that anymore people can talk about guy stuff but it's mostly just like a stand up show and yeah. then we we do the we do the guy stuff still
0: yeah it seems like it's immensely popular i mean the ones that i've been to i have not been able to sit down despite showing up very early
3: it's very cool. It's, uh, It. I mean, that's like the nice thing is like putting a lot of work into a show and doing it for two years. Now it has a little bit of a following, yeah. which is very cool.
0: Yeah. And I've gotten introduced to some great comics through it too and things like that. That's one of my favorite things of going to People's Monthlies is it's always just somebody that I just wasn't aware of before. And yeah. I walk away just like a rabid fan. We try person. really,
3: really hard to have a good mix of, you know, you have to have some like big namey people so Mm -hmm. that people who see it in like a newspaper will come. But, Mm -hmm. uh, But for the most part, it's like now that the show has kind of got a little bit of momentum, we can just put people that we think are really funny. And, you know, I mean, we're really committed to making sure that every lineup is super diverse and represents a lot of different types of people, but also just that like new people get to do a cool, fun show.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's really important, too, for somebody who's just kind of like not starting out but hasn't had the opportunity to perform in, like, a ticketed show where everybody's kind of sitting down and people are coming through and there's, like, this really positive thing.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm sure
0: it's a great experience. And they're just kind of like...
3: (laughs) It's a really warm audience, too. I think we... That's something I'm proud of is I think we cultivate a pretty uh, positive, warm experience at the show, which is I think just comes from us, like, loving doing the show together Mm -hmm. um, and genuinely having a really fun time. But
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the people that we've talked about or that you're in their orbit with who their shows almost always feel like that. And of yeah. course, here and there, there's going to be some like rando who holler or something. But for the most part, it seems like the spaces that have been cultivated are really different than what people traditionally associate with the comedy club. Yeah, and that it's an entirely different space that feels much more kind of in the middle of uh, comedy and theater or comedy and performance art or something where it, it's an audience who's very much there to take in culture as silly as that sounds, I maybe, think so
3: yeah, I mean i i I want to be in spaces where people feel like the audience like I want everyone in the room to feel like they're being supported mm-hmm. um, those are the spaces I like to perform in, so I want to make those spaces also
0: and what is if uh, I don't you know you don't have to give away any secrets, but the creative process, like for you Catherine and Patty getting together before each month like because it's you know it's always different yeah so in in you do some stuff together you do some stuff solo yeah um, how as much as you would want to discuss I, I'm out of a genuine curiosity
3: um I mean we'll like pick a theme that the show is you know it it's not a uh, we pick like the dumbest theme we can think of every month because give
0: some examples <laughs>
3: Um, Halloween was It's a Ghoul Thing. Cool. Um,
0: I saw that flyer. I didn't make the show. But yes. That,
3: um, our Christmas show is... Which doesn't
0: even make sense because it's not even the right pun.
3: No. <laughs> I it's,
0: that, did not, that just occurred to me.
3: It's not. um a little um, slow in the uptake. We, we did like a prom thing, uh-huh. um, like a summer fling. They're always just stupid and vague yeah. uh, there was our christmas one is not my presence uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> hee hee getting political uh, <laughs> oh My God, <laughs>
0: i saw the flyer earlier today and i did now i'm just, again a little slow in the uptake but i like
3: the,
0: <laughs> the very layered pun <laughs> i mean
3: they're always like you know Met with a groan. Um. <laughs> <laughs> As then, any pun should be, I yes, feel like, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're cruel, I think. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, so we, uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll pick the theme, whatever that may be. Uh, and then we'll get together. We'll try to get together once or twice before the show and just, you know, Patty um, is usually the one who makes our tracks because we'll try to do an original song every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's an original track and sometimes it's like a very disrespectful um, song parody uh, <laughs> which uh, we try not to do but sometimes we do and uh, for the most part it's an original song related to the theme
0: does Patty write the music for those
3: she'll make the track in garage band okay. and then we'll uh, write, the write the lyrics together, together. Um, Patty is like so so good at the
0: Timberland to your Justin Timberlake truly yes <laughs>
3: but we're all Justin Timberlake You, <laughs> <Ew. laughs> no thanks um but well, yeah we uh so we'll meet we'll meet and write the songs together and sort of just be in touch about what everyone's solo bit's going to be just so that we're uh-huh. doing you know kind of keeping the variety and then we'll do some sort of bit together halfway through the show normally that is a little more verbal and um on, like a lot of times we'll do like a staged reading of something that we've written or a PowerPoint or something like that, or just a lecture of some kind. And yeah, I mean, we its it's really fun because we don't perform as a trio outside of that show. Mm-hmm. So just getting to do something, the three of us once a month is always really fun.
0: And uh, next one's on Sunday, December tenth. Yes, but it's at
3: Littlefield. At Littlefield, we normally perform at Union Hall, and we'll be back there in January. But we're doing a big fundraiser show for Rain at Littlefield at, on December tenth. And what 8 is PM. Rain? So Rain is the Rape Abuse and Incest National Network. Basically, it provides information and support for survivors and people who, you know, need help in those situations. So it's a fundraiser for that. Um, and it'll just be a fun comedy show, uh, and then all the money will go to them. <laughs> well,
0: that's, you know, that's good. Uh, is there anything – I noticed at the flyer I didn't see names on the lineup. Is that secret, or is it just the three of you? Or? No,
3: it will be well, – there will be other performers okay. on the show. It'll I didn't be... know if it was
0: a real tight trio for like a one-off kind of Christmas event or – sorry, holiday mm-hmm. event. L- Thank listen you. To, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm usually – It's Merry
3: Christmas, not Happy <laughs> Holidays. <laughs>
0: it's cool that that's still a fucking thing that people are upset about
3: yeah i mean you know when your life is that good you can worry about stuff like that
0: um well yeah so sunday december 10th i want people to make sure to go out to that uh i had another question about i didn't get to go to the cultch wars oh yeah uh for las culturistas i don't think so honey mm-hmm. and you were paired with ray yes. is that right Okay. Can I ask what your I don't think so, honey, was?
3: Yes. Um, so, and,
0: Oh, and sorry for anybody who doesn't listen to last Cultures. <laughs> it's basically every episode of that podcast, the guest and um, both of the hosts, Matt and Bowen, uh, front of the pod, Bowen, In
3: the pod.
0: do a <laughs> I don't think so, honey, which is essentially something that, you know. I don't think so, honey.
3: Yeah, but. something in, in culture that you don't like, and mm-hmm. that can be anything, how, however specific or general you want to it, make it. Um, so Ray's was Justin Timberlake, which was amazing. Um, oh, my
0: God. And here I am calling you and Patty and Catherine Justin Timberlake.
3: I know. <laughs> if you had known what we all know now. <laughs> <laughs> um mine was ben affleck um okay. i have really despised him for a very long time you don't um, say yeah <laughs> bravely speaking out against ben affleck <laughs> america's sweetheart ben affleck um, oh my god yeah i mean i focused mostly um on the movie argo um oh i
0: didn't see it but i know what it is you know
3: and don't <laughs> but, um
0: <laughs> probably notice i didn't say yet
3: he uh yeah but you know he got best director for that shit it was oh it's so bad oh my god um i'm iranian so i hate it uh i talked about that and then you know just his fun sexual assault and his horrible family and bad personality and horrible career so
0: oh my goodness who won ray ray yeah okay was that because you two were co-workers before we were so was that was that tough
3: Well, there was a lot of love in our uh, standoff. Uh, (laughs) Both of us just kept gazing across the stage at each other. So (laughs) she's – oh, my God. Ray is incredible. Uh, She's so funny. I mean, you just – she, like, just the most articulate, concise, funny person that – I've ever met. Just someone who's able to rattle off, like, a dissertation mm-hmm. <laughs> off the top of her head.
0: And oftentimes in, like, 86 characters to, like, dunk on someone on Twitter.
3: Just <laughs> yeah. constantly. <laughs> yeah. She's her, unreal. Her She's,
0: quote retweets are... Uh,
3: watching... <laughs> yes. Watching her... I mean, you know, I I hope one day I can have uh, as incisive of a retort to anyone who says something mean to me. I mean, because it's normally just something like... Like, you're corny, motherfucker. And it's still just like, yeah. whoa, yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I hope she never says that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I also, I understand that you had, um, and if this is too soon, it's okay, but you had some drama with some pillows recently <laughs> that, were, um, that were delivered to <laughs> home. And I, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine, but I, you know,
3: well, I'm actually um, in therapy for this yeah, right want, now, so I feel like I can discuss I it.
0: I want people to know, and I feel like if we don't <laughs> talk about it, it's going to continue. So.
3: Um, yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I uh, I bravely have overcome um, receiving... I ordered five pillows uh, from Urban Outfitters and received <laughs> them um, in five different shipments. I'm actually still waiting <laughs> on one of them. Five different shipments in five different huge boxes. <laughs> and i bravely took to twitter about it (laughs) yeah it was so stupid i couldn't believe it all on different days all in different boxes
1: that's unreal
0: i well i feel like people who don't live in new york don't understand the trauma of package delivery
3: yes i it's one of
0: the most stressful things just it's delivered and it's just not there
3: it's just not there um and yeah it was a so I've got four of them so far, and one of them I'm still waiting on. How did
0: you decide on five? That's an interesting number.
3: Well, I they had a big sale, mm-hmm. and some were buy one, get one, and then I wanted this big velvet body pillow. Oh, so. I see.
0: Okay, so it's sort of like four bed pillows and then one special one. Yes, one okay. special one.
3: My new husband, the big velvet body pillow. <laughs>
0: <from>. <laughs> I feel like we have, Claire orders uh, not like a ton of stuff online, but I almost never do, but she will get things, and it's every time that – we're waiting for something. It's this incredibly stressful situation. Harrowing. It, yeah, just
3: keeping track of, you know, that tracking number they send you.
0: And when you come, like, I'll literally be leaving my house that I've been at all morning, and I'll exit, and there's just the FedEx thing in the door. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I was home. I was home. And then it's like, we'll come back, and then it's always before a three-day weekend or something. Yes. Like, next delivery will attempt on Tuesday Yes, or next something.
3: delivery will be in six months. Uh.
0: <laughs> we had for a while, and I think we can still use this, but... A very conveniently located UPS drop-off spot, mm. but not that many people send UPS. It's almost always FedEx. But the place was open till eight, and wow. it was just at the end of my block. Mm. It was a cellular phone store, and mm. you could have anything dropped off there. It was, I mean, it was like having a doorman.
3: That's amazing, which
0: I've never had before. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have written for a few different shows at this point. Yes. Yes. Uh, what is? What is writing for a show like? Because that's outside of my purview. I write about a lot of stuff, but it's myopic, and I sit there and I write, and nobody. And occasionally, I have an editor from like a magazine or something who says, "Oh, do this differently." But is that a really collaborative process?
3: It is, which I love, um, because a lot of the stuff. I mean, I obviously collaborate with, you know, it's a guy thing, folks, and through Busy Debra's folks, but a lot of my writing is solo, just for my own solo performing uh, or like essays that I write and stuff so it's it's very cool to get to go to a place where everyone is sort of responsible for everything so you know at president show it was super collaborative you get basically in all the places that I've worked you get into a room and you talk about what you're gonna be writing and then people sort of peel off and write their chunks of it or they'll work with one other person or you know You'll go off and do the thing, but then you'll come back together and everybody will punch up the script and make it funnier together. So nothing is really owned by anybody, mm-hmm. you know. And it was the same thing. I just worked on Miracle Workers, which is a sitcom that will be on TBS next year. Um and that, But that was similar. Like for a long time, we all just sat in a room and talked about themes and characters and the way that the characters relate to each other. What's this character's arc for the season? What's the overall story arc for season? What's the season? What's the story for this episode? What's um, And then we'd outline everything together. And then eventually, very late into the process, one or two people would go off and write an episode mm-hmm. and then come back and we'd go line by line after a table read and punch it up together. So your name might be on an episode, but everybody has jokes in every episode Mm -hmm. and we all, you know, created a world together. So it's a lot of talking in a room full of people, which is really cool, especially if you are lucky enough to be in a really good room full of people. This miracle worker's job was so fun because it was pretty small. There were um, seven writers and then Simon Rich, the EP and creator of the show. Um, But we just sat all day and like, chatted basically about what the world was and yeah. what we were trying to say. And, and then eventually you get to like the jokes, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but it's a lot of just cool conversations about like what, you know, and getting to be a part of developing really interesting characters, especially like a, a really interesting female character that's being like we have, a, it's a, it's a diverse show and just getting to be a person who's like, well, you know, as this person, uh, as, like, a woman of color, blah, 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 uh, here's how I feel. And just, you know, and I credit to Simon for putting together a room that had all those voices in it. Yeah. Um, because if you're going to have those voices on the show, you have to have those voices in the room. Because we can always tell when yeah. a man's writing a woman or whatever, you uh-huh. know. Like, you can you can do some because you're alive in the world. But, it, it, I, I mean, I can always be like, oh, God, like, a dude wrote this. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, how exhausting. <laughs> We're all just here waiting. Um, <laughs> so it was um, It was amazing. It was really cool. I had never worked in a narrative room before. Yeah. Um, and
0: it sounds like with the, I mean, even earlier you just said that you kind of have this, uh, you fit naturally with working with other people instead of just like performing solo. You'd rather be on stage with other people and things like that. Yeah. It seems like that kind of room and especially just the, it sounds like uh, a lot of intentional hanging out, if that makes sense. Like really, like where you get together and you're having conversations, but it's not – it's somewhere in between like a work meeting and just like bullshitting with your friends or something. But something slightly more casual than a work meeting, but at the same time very, very intentional. It's very intentional,
3: and especially Simon's room was – you know, we got in at 10, we left at 6, and when we were there, we were there. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't a lot of like fucking around or whatever. It was mostly – very focused he would come in with an idea of what we wanted to accomplish every single day which is also great that is sort of the system that i thrive in as someone being yeah like, okay here's what we're doing here's what we're trying to do today um yeah. some like structure a-
0: because the 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 prison of choice yes you totally have- <laughs> yeah. i really
3: really need it yeah um, I feel
0: the same way. I think parameters or like someone giving an architecture is actually incredible, especially if you have a room full of creative people. Yes. Because if you just start from zero, it's it's kind of tough. But if you're like, here are the limitations or what we have to fit something into. Yes. It can be really like boom, boom, boom because some decisions are already made for you.
3: Yeah. I mean, this particular show is an anthology, so we really did know the beginning and the end already. Um, so just filling in those spaces, too, was really cool.
0: Interesting. When does it start?
3: The filming starts uh, in a couple weeks, and then it'll be out sometime next year. I don't really know.
0: Does TBS still start every show at five minutes after the hour, or was that only a...
3: Oh, 19- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I should know. <laughs> that was like a thing in, that
0: was like a thing in the, I don't of course they don't do that anymore. But that was like TBS's thing when I was a kid. Was their show started at like 6:05, 7:05, 8:05. And so I could always I don't always, think they do that anymore. Oh, I could always start watching Saved by the Bell on one channel and then switch <laughs> over to TBS 5 minutes later and see which episode it was going to be and then decide which one I was going to watch. Ooh. Um it was actually kind of cool that they started at 5 after. I thought that was pretty fun. That is fun. Um the comedy that you do with Three Busy Debras and solo and things like that, you definitely have a penchant for And this has been noted in people kind of covering it or writing about it for things that are really violent and vulgar and just kind of like over the top. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious where, I mean, besides the fact that it's kind of salacious and fun to muck around in that territory, but where does that come from or what attracts you to going into those realms that are obviously end up being very hilarious, but if you just looked at it on paper or something, it's maybe horrifying or terrifying or this thing is really bad that you're sort of making light of and things like that.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I personally really like to, in my solo stuff, I, I mean, I'm definitely not ever going into something, trying to write something vile, but I do like to write about like detailed takes on people are sort of phenomena that I think are really lame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or, or not even just lame, but like, you know, I, I love watching reality TV. So I've been doing a lot of stuff about people, like people that I see within that. Not, not necessarily like a takedown of reality TV, but the people within those systems are really funny to me. Um, yeah. And like, I'll take a, I like to take a trader line or something like that and make a piece around it. But I definitely do have a penchant for darkness, and grossness. Um, I think just because it's what I think is funny. <laughs> yeah. I like hearing... Well, it's,
0: like, it's vulgar. It's not offensive, if that makes sense. Yes, like, I don't want to vulgar- hurt anybody's yeah, feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't mean to... I hope nobody's interpreting that way. I mean, like... It seems like vulgarity is really important to you. Yes. And there's a, a, to me at least, there's a big difference between vulgarity and offensiveness. Yes,
3: I don't want to ever do shock humor, but I do think gross stuff is funny. Um, And I I don't want to say stuff that makes people feel bad. Like, I really, I am not interested in doing comedy that alienates the audience. Mm -hmm. I like to do stuff that people can, not necessarily, I mean, I definitely don't think I'm doing, like, relatable stuff, but, like... (laughs) But I do want to do stuff where people are like, oh, I, t- I know what this is. Uh-huh. There There is a person, you know, I don't necessarily know someone who is exactly this, but I, I get what this is.
0: Or it's a conglomerate I mean. of sort of archetypes and things like that. There's still something relatable in it, even if it's not like, I've also had that experience. Exactly. Recognizability or something. Yes, I yeah. want
3: people to feel like they're a part of it. I don't want people to feel stupid for having watched me do comedy for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do see that. Like, I the, you know, people doing comedy that are like doing – Performance stuff where they're sort of like... You mean feel stupid like they
0: regret it or feel stupid because they didn't understand it? I think
3: both. Both. I mean, you know, just, you know, yelling at the audience for not getting something that like Mm. how could they ever get it Mm. kind of or, you know, yeah, just doing stuff that purposely alienates the audience is not attractive to me. Yeah, People are going to see a comedy show because they want to have a good time and laugh. And like I can't always make people laugh because sometimes I write stuff that's not funny, but... (laughs) Uh, my goal is to make people feel good and feel like they're a part of it.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, that relates to with the what you were saying earlier about it's a guy thing and kind of wanting uh, – I think you said something the be effective. Everyone feels supported. Yeah. And that, that includes the people who've come out to sort of be the participants. Because yeah. without them, it's just a bunch of people kind of like – goofing off in a room together which is yes. also fun which is but, fun
3: but like go to a party yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well i was thinking in particular i watched a video of and i don't i don't know if it was the la trip that you were referring to before but it was um uh jamie is it loftus is that who jamie loftus yeah, yeah jamie loftus's show um and it was uh chrysalis fontaine is yes. that the character's name yes. that you were coming out and doing and it was just this uh very, very, very funny pastiche of all of these different kinds of archetypes of characters but boiled down into one and it would get sort of hysterical but then just the certain the way that certain words that you were using would land, like words that we agree are vulgar or this or that or something like that, but just the punch that they brought was so funny <laughs> and it gave a relief and the audience would just burst out laughing and things like that. So it was, it, it's a weird way to kind of explore that stuff and I think to, um, especially as... A comic who also happens to be a woman and a woman of color living in the United States, I'm sure that part of it is just like, well, let me fuck with this material that's been fucking with everybody else for so long.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I just, you know, every word is intentional, um, even the vulgar ones. And
0: <laughs> I figure. Yeah. 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 So it's
3: like, it, you know, all that. It's, I mean, some stuff is just like, some words are funny. Yeah. <laughs> like saying the phrase lick my clit is funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh. <laughs> Screaming it at a room full of people <laughs> makes me laugh. So I do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it it's just it's just what, making stuff that I think is funny and making jokes about stuff that I think are like specific specific things, like not doing like a broadly vulgar or broadly um you know, over the top thing. I want it to be a very, very specific character. Pretty much everything that I write is like a a character piece, whether it's like a prose piece, or, and that normally takes form in like a letter or like a, an imagined monologue or whatever, like as McSweeney's categorized it. Um, but <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, and uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's always a character. That's the most like. It, normally, I'm I'm not exploring like, what if this happened. It's mostly like, you know who's this person? Yeah, yeah.
0: Putting a little bit of three dimension to them even if they're kind of like outlandish and all these different things. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. And I think the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, and maybe it's going back to when we were talking about Ray a little bit earlier, but the, I mean, you use Twitter in a couple different ways. Um, <laughs> one is just like, it's like, Dernald Termp lick my ass or something like <laughs> weird, like just crazy. Oh, how
3: dare you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just
0: really funny like totally kind of like um using the architecture of twitter to make jokes and they're very funny but then you're also pretty um you're not shy of saying something political or sort of like expressing a belief and i'm curious i mean i think i already know the answer but the kind of like oh comedian should stick to comedy kind of thing and i'm just curious if you have a thought for anybody who still thinks that it's a comedian's job to only make them laugh when it's convenient and not to have uh I don't know an opinion based on lived experiences.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, my my stance on that is probably uh, pretty obvious. But I, you know, I think it. I think people can do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you don't have to follow me online. <laughs> like that—that's the thing that always um, makes me nuts. Is like, I'll get a lot of hateful responses whenever I like speak out against anything or express my opinion on anything Are these
0: people who are following you though
3: sometimes i mean why
0: would they do it in the first place that's i guess you're addressing this right now i'm sorry yeah i mean (laughs) you you
3: just don't have to look at the stuff that i say like i'm not looking at the stuff that those people are saying Uh because it doesn't mean anything to me uh so if if people don't like it they just don't have to look at it um it's not like my my self-expression is not for everyone's consumption it's totally voluntary so i mean no one's making anyone consume anything that i make like and it's not like i'm so out in the forefront of like mm-hmm. <laughs> anything that people <laughs> have to see it <laughs> you know so i i it, i'm a person and as a person i live in this country and have the experiences that i have and i want to talk about those things and it's my prerogative to do that. And other people don't have to do that. I think anyone who chooses to let their, it's the internet. It's not real. Like it's so, it's so crazy to me that people are like trying to exercise any like sway or influence over what another person does on the internet. If it's not harming anyone, Yeah, if you're not harassing someone, then do whatever you want. Like if someone wants to just tell jokes then they can just tell jokes. And I I'm so exhausted too, by the stuff that's like, well, why hasn't this person spoken out, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, you know, like, Lindsay Lohan hasn't said anything about Gamergate yet or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sure, but it's like, it's the internet. Like, yeah, it, unless yeah. it unless it specifically, you know, I don't know. I, I'm rambling. But people should do whatever they want to do. And it's crazy to me that people care that much about Twitter, that they're like, just tell jokes or don't tell jokes or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. If you're If you're not hurting somebody or causing another person like, psychological or physical harm, then like, do whatever.
0: <laughs> well, it also seems like there are probably, you know, younger people who aspire to do comedy, who probably find a lot of uh, fulfillment and um, energy in seeing younger comics who are being politically vocal and aren't pretending like nothing else is happening. And it's not that every single person has to take a stance or this or that, but I'm sure it carves a path and creates some space for somebody else to feel like, okay, if I'm going to be in comedy and doing these things, I can also be a three-dimensional person and have these political opinions. And I don't have to keep it to myself for fear of like, the repercussions because I stirred the pot or something, which yeah. is which is funny because when I say that you're vocal about politics, it's like you're vocal about things that to me seem completely fucking normal to say. Yes, I, I mean th- I don't. Not <laughs> I never feel
3: like I'm taking a huge risk by being like Donald Trump is bad. Like, <laughs> I mean, like I'll get like crazy alt-right people, but I, I've never felt like something like that is going to keep me from getting a job. You know, if if, if I'm going to not get a job because I don't like the current administration, then I wasn't going to work there anyway. Yeah. But I, you know, I think anyone who feels compelled to do so should do so. I, it feels good. It feels cathartic. It's just another way to express yourself. Um, And I, I think it's important to, for me, it, it feels important to, if I'm going to be like expressing myself as often as I do on a platform like that it's like I want to express that part of myself especially now that I have a little more of a following on that website it's like why not Share like places you can donate and mm-hmm. stuff like that. If if like this, this particular group of people is like forced to scroll past my name on their timeline, like maybe, maybe someone will donate twenty dollars somewhere or something sure. like that. Not like not that I'm on Twitter to be noble, but it's like why not do that while I'm making stupid jokes?
0: Of course. Well, and people that recognize. Um what you do or align themselves with your values and things like that. Typically I found that if I'm looking at a social media platform and somebody that I sort of respect and I like the work that they do and I know that their thoughtfulness and that, if they're like, oh, here's a good place to put some energy to try to like make a difference. I'm really thankful that that person like did the, you know, like took the time to put that up Yeah. because then like, I'm like, oh, thank you. Because what do you Google? You know, it's really you Google hard. Google how, uh, how to help. D- this. You know, it is, this is. It's
3: really overwhelming. And I'm I'm grateful to website. Like, I'm grateful to Twitter for that, that I can follow people, especially, you know, Iranian people. That's a huge part of where I get news about Iran and finding out, I mean, other than my family, but just about uh, US and, and Iranian international relations. Mm-hmm. It's, I feel like I've found the people that I, whose opinions and information I trust, because, you know, Western media says one thing and, you know, everything everything on the news is a lie (laughs) so (laughs) um, so it it does provide some clarity and also a great thing is finding new funny people Mm -hmm. to support and book and meet and that's a really exciting part of it is being able to be like hey guys like check out this person or someone else does it and i'm like oh that person is really cool i should Mm -hmm. book this person
0: cool Um. Well, Mitra, thank you so much for coming by today. Thanks and for having me. To everybody who's listening, this will be out before then. So Sunday, December tenth.
3: At eight PM. Eight at PM.
0: Doors. Seven. Seven. Yes. Okay. And please and, come. <laughs> and folks can get ticket On
3: Littlefield's website. On
0: Littlefield's website. And, and I'm p- sure
3: we'll also be posting about it every single day between now and then. Cool. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. so please follow Mitra on Twitter and while you're at it, follow Catherine Cohen who I told you to follow a while ago so if you're not now, I don't know what your problem is. I think I've also <laughs> told you to follow Patty. So um, please do all those things. Uh, Mitra once again, thank you so much. Thank to you. everybody who's listening and the people I shouted out at the top of the show, the founding Drip subscribers, thank you so much. And to everybody else, until next week.
2: I'm you.
3: are perfect, but none of us can be happy with what we see all around us,
2: I'm nothing you've
3: heard.